The advice and opinions expressed by the host of Autism Live and her guests are meant solely as suggestion and should not be in any way construed as child-specific advice. The Center for Autism and Related Disorders advises working with a board-certified behavior analyst who has experience with autism before starting any intensive behavioral intervention. Any choices you make in determining your child's treatment are completely at your own discretion. Good morning. Uh, I had everything off. Uh, good morning and welcome to Autism Live. There's Evelyn Kung. I'm Shannon Penrod. We're coming to you live from my uh, back room and from a, a place uh, where Evelyn is and from a place where our producer Traven is. So excited to be here with you this morning. That's the first time that I ever just totally forgot to unmute myself and the show had already started. So apologies all the way around. Uh, now, today is Wednesday and on Wednesdays, whenever possible, we have Dr. Doreen Grampiche here to answer your questions, but sometimes we can't. And when that happens, we are very fortunate on some occasions that we have Evelyn Kung to answer your questions. And today is one of those red letter days. We always enjoy it when she's here. Evelyn is, besides being a wonderful person and someone who just delights in our children, she is truly an expert in the field of autism. And she has been the clinical director at CARD for many, many, many years. But she uh, I, you know, I should let you talk a little bit about this, Evelyn, but she has a wide breadth of experience. She's been doing this for how many years? Oh, almost 30. Almost 30 years and has seen pretty much everything that there is to see from very small babies uh, up through people who are considered senior citizens. And she just has a way about her. And if you have a question, boy, she's one of the people that I run to and go, What's, what about this? So I'm thrilled that she's here to answer you guys' questions. Now, I do have to give you the disclaimer that um, there is no expert in this field or any related field who could give individual specific advice in this particular format because they've never laid, laid eyes on the person. They don't have an opportunity to watch and see what's happening. So the, um, the things that she's going to be talking about um, she's, she's going to give you, you guys ask a question, please ask as specifically as possible what it is that you're, you're looking for, because everything is a clue and a hint, right? Um, and then she will give you information of a, a general nature, which should help you to ask more questions when you go to the experts who have eyes on the situation. So that's sort of the deal with this. And I want to point out too, that there are lots of different ways that you can have your question, um, be answered and be read on the show. So let's go over some of them. I know over the weekend, we had a Temple Grandin Marathon, and um, I love it. So many people tuned out and enjoyed Temple Grandin. And a lot of you wrote in questions, and we banked some of them that are just specifically um, for Dr. Grandin the next time we have her on the show, which hopefully will be soon. Um, and some of them were that are something that would require um, someone like a BCBA, like uh, Evelyn, to answer. We, you know, we've got some of those in today, but. I also want to address that some of you were frustrated because you weren't getting your answer, your questions answered in real time. That was all recorded. We didn't have Temple Grandin. It was just a series. And I think you figured that out as you stayed watching because uh, we changed locations. Those were pre-recorded interviews. So, um, but there are ways that you can have your question be answered. And we do hang on to all the questions you guys send, even if we don't get to all of them. But I, I encourage you to be persistent. So Trayvon's going to show you some of the different ways that you can connect to us. I want to tell you about our homepage, which is autism-live.com. Lots of things to do there. Now, we have a chat button that's at the bottom of that page. Unfortunately, this morning, that is not working. So I want to encourage you, don't go there today, but usually that's a really great way to get your question answered because it's very immediate. And I have it here on an iPad right next to me, woo um, where I can see it and it's in my face. But it's not working this morning, so don't push that button today. Um, I would encourage you today to be writing in on YouTube and Facebook where we are live. Uh, we are also on Periscope and Twitter, but I think the better place to get the questions answered is on Facebook and YouTube. And um, we podcast to YouTube 
iTunes, uh, Deezer, iHeartRadio, um, what else am I forgetting? Spotify, all of those places. But don't forget our homepage is autism-live.com. Uh, but I hope that you will ask your question in whatever way you can. Don't forget, you can also write directly to me, s.penrod at autism-live.com. I know when you watch the show, you can see that there are so many questions coming from so many different ways, and we don't ever get to all of them anymore, and that's a bummer. Uh, you know, it used to be that we could, but we just don't ever get to all of them anymore. But I do bank them and try to squeeze them in at another time. But it really helps. If you have a question, be persistent um, and, and write in. And I notice, I really do notice, I go, oh, this person has asked this question twice. They get moved to the top of the list, right? So I encourage you, be, be, be persistent. So Evelyn, we're so thrilled that you're here with us this morning. We so enjoy you and, and having the time to spend with you. You doing okay during this Isolation, the great yep. isolation. We're all good. <laughs> good, I'm glad. Uh, so I'm gonna jump in here with a question that's been asked in a lot of different ways, but this particular parent said, the school year is over and we are being told there will be no ESY, which is extended school year. What would you recommend to do, we do to help our kids over the summer? This is the, this is the question of the right? May month. <laughs> so mm -hmm. everyone is asking this. and. What I would say right now is take advantage of the time that you have with, no, with an open schedule and just do as much therapy as you can. Because ABA works in when it's intensive and it works even better and the kids learn more quickly with the more repetition they have. So if you can get your ABA provider to get you as many hours as you can, this is the time to do it. I know that a lot of people feel like they need that school setting, they need um, their kids to be social, um, you know, with other kids. But the, the thing is, there is so much information. You can't really be social unless you have a communication system. Yeah, I think she froze a little bit, but she was saying you can't be social. And pretty much most of our form of communication issue. So this, take advantage of this time and work on language. Because if your child can actually speak what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're doing, they're gonna be so social when you get back to the point of being interactive again. You know, right now, when so many of the behaviors that we see in our kids with frustration and tantrums and noncompliance, a lot of it has to do with that they don't have the words to speak. They don't have the words to communicate. I don't wanna do that right now. Let me do that later. And, and a, typical, a neurotypical kid is sitting there questioning everything. They don't need to tantrum. They don't need to scream. They don't need to engage in any of those problem behaviors to get their point across. And our kids usually aren't really good about communicating what they're thinking, what they're feeling, what they're wanting. So take advantage of the summer and get some therapy and just work on communication. And once that communication is fluid, not that they know how to do it, but that they do it easily. That's the yeah. key. They have to do it easily without thinking because once they hit that social setting, there's a thousand other types of stimuli coming at them. So the language has to be at the very top and the easiest to grab and use. If it's still something they have to think about and they have to find it, all of those things in the social setting are actually a distraction and it's harder to find those words. So use your summer, get some of the information in there, get the language in there, get the fluency built up so that they don't have to think about talking. And then you're so, when they go back to that social setting, they're just gonna be great. I love it, I love it. I, I've been saying for weeks here, Evelyn, you know, when, you, when there's a bunch of things you can't do in a given time, try to do all the things that you can only do then. You know, I learned that having a baby because everybody would say to me, you know, when the baby is napping, you nap. I didn't, I didn't really cotton to that, but I, but there were certain things that I realized there are some things that I cannot do when I'm with him. So when, when I'm not with him, I need to make sure that I do all of those things. Right. Yeah. And it's the same way now, you know, there are certain things that we cannot do with our kiddos. It's just, they're not on the table. Um, but you know, there are certain things that we can only do now that we will never have this opportunity again. And that is true with ABA therapy all the time. You have funding for a set period of time. And as your child ages, you get less funding for it. So 
now is the best moment to do all the therapy that you can because this moment will never come again. And it doesn't matter whether your child is three or eight. They are not going to get this moment again. So do all the therapy you can. It's not, it's not coming back around. Yeah. And all the funding sources understand that this is an unusual time. So mm -hmm. this is actually being more open about when people are making requests for more hours. Yeah. Yeah. Take advantage, y'all. Get on this train and... They are and actually... I'm, well, I'm sorry. I think you stuck for a second. Go ahead. Say what you were saying. Oh, no. I was just saying that all the funding sources right now understand this need. So if you don't have enough hours, go and ask for more. They might give it to you right now because they're the most open I've seen them. Yes. I, I absolutely... We're loving the funding sources right now. Hey, I'm saying hi to Bonnie and I'm saying hi to Nina who have written in and said good morning and hi. Uh, next question, very, very appropriate for this. Uh, parent writes in and says, my 15-year-old hyperventilates when, whenever we put a mask on him. I'm worried this will become regular panic attacks. Should we keep trying or wait? You know, right now, because of the pandemic, it's a need. You have to put a mask on him. But it doesn't have to turn into a panic attack, okay? It really doesn't. It's like with everything else that we do. As long as he has exposure and he has time to acclimate, it becomes easier. Mm -hmm. So just take that time, work with your BCBA, and really work on practicing wearing that mask. Wear it one minute, two minutes, three minutes, and have reinforcers for when he's wearing it. Let him play games on, you know, whatever device he loves <laughs> or book or game, like whatever it is during only when he's wearing the mask and he can't access that game or toy any other time. If you start doing this, he'll start adjusting to that mask. And then one of the things that, you know, I've learned because when I wear the mask, I, I always recognize when it's uncomfortable. So like I've been trying to walk every night and some nights I have my mask fits perfectly and it doesn't bother me. And there's other nights where there's just something about it. And so allow him to adjust. If he's out wearing it and he's been wearing it for a good amount of time and he wants to take it out, find a safe place, have him pull it down, give him, you know, some time with it and then put it back on and then go your merry way. You know, just, he needs the time to adjust. For 15 years, he hasn't had to wear it. Yeah. But he, and he doesn't understand the, the background of the need. You know, for us, we, it's hard for us to wear, but we understand the need and then it's easier. And for him, he doesn't understand that. So he's basically, you have to give that extra reinforcer for him because he doesn't have the understanding of why now suddenly every time he goes out, he has to wear it, you know, and you're basically providing the reason as maybe it's like, hey, this is a time that you get access to something and that's okay for now. You know, in the future, you might want to explain it more if he's able to understand. But for now, you need him to wear it now to be safe. And you want your family to be safe. I, I appreciate how much credit you give because, you know, there are a lot of people, adults, that are typically developing uh, who are or who don't understand why they have to wear masks and feel that they should be excluded. Um, so I, I love that you're giving everybody the benefit of the doubt. But the truth of the matter is it's uncomfortable. It's not what we're used to. It's a change. It's different. And, you know, random, you know, people walking around who don't have sensory issues are having a hard time with it. But I like to look at our first responders and, you know, what they say and what, you know, when they started to wear a mask, they went through a transition period where it felt funny. And now they all say across the board, I forget that I have it on. Um, and we've seen that, um, you know, like those pictures that they have of the scars that people are getting from, you know, because they're wearing them so tight. Um, and, and, you know, it takes a while getting used to, I wear a CPAP at night. So I have this like mask on my face and it has taken me two years to get used to it. And now, you know, I'm, I'm very, very, but if you had asked me two years ago, I would have told you there's no way that there's going to come a time when this is going to feel like a normal thing. Right. So I think that, you know, patience and rewards and, and you have said before with us to another parent about, you know, having them be a part of picking which mask. There's a, there's a good friend of mine who's on the spectrum, um, Alex Plank, who's the creator of wrongplanet.net, which I encourage you, if, if you have teenagers, check that site out. 
but Alex has not been able to have one of the, you know, the, the little masks or one of the things that hooks over his ears. It's just not comfortable for him. So a friend who knows about these things got him one of the like intense gas masks that has the C, or excuse me, the N94 replaceable canisters on the side. And it goes just underneath his glasses. It's rubber. It's meant for hunters. It's like this serious business thing. He loves it. it like it's his favorite thing to wear. And he wears it out, you know, and it attracts a great deal of attention because people go, dude, you know, that's hardcore. Um, but he kind of likes the attention. It's a color that he likes. Um, and he says, you know, the seal of it, it's just so much more comfortable. And, it, and it's meant to be very breathable for people who are exercising and hunting. So he's just infinitely happier. And, and it cost him like $15. Now that was back before things were crazy. I'm sure that it's $105 now. But if that were the thing that your kid said that I would wear, and that they would feel more comfortable, I think we would all agree that a little bit more money, if you have it, is uh, worth it for safety today. And, and just don't, and remember the sensory aspect. So many of our kids have that sensory aspect. So if there is something that your child likes to put near their face, make that be the hint. <laughs> there you go. There you <laughs> and, go. And make a mask out of that fabric or that, you know, that texture. And you probably will love it, you know, but you're using it as a clue to what he likes near his face. There you go. Hey, saying good afternoon to Mia. Mia, we're so glad that you're here with us. Uh, okay, uh, oh, this, we've had this question in a bunch of different formats, but my 11-year-old is way too happy with the shutdown. While this has been, uh, while this has been a blessing, uh, I guess because they haven't you know, uh, had a problem with it, they say, I'm, way, uh, I'm worried about how to get him back outside when it's time. Should I be working on this now and how? And let me just say, I'm right there with this 11-year-old. I, I run a little agoraphobic and I have said to everyone at work, I'm fine with this, but good luck getting me back out of my house later on. Uh, you're going to have to line up the therapist to get me back out. Um, and some of our kids are just happier. They're like, woohoo. Um, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to be social. I don't have to go out. I don't have to be drug around by mom to do errands. I don't have to go to things that I don't want to do. I'm happy to stay home. What do we do? You know, this has actually been my concern for, there's so many families who were receiving a lot of ABA services prior to COVID. And there's, you know, understandably, they've chosen not to have therapy. And we've actually had a surge of family, kids who are doing really well in therapy where the parents are telling me, um, maybe we don't need therapy anymore because he's doing so well at home. And I had to come back around and say, look, this quarantine is actually reinforcing a lot of the rigidity that is ASD. So because he's happier being with his family, does it mean that going out is going to be an easy task? And we've seen it across kids now where even like the type of food they're eating, they're narrowing, they're just going down that rigidity path of really closing in on all levels of what they're doing. So what we've been talking to families about is you know, you have to know your area and what you're comfortable with in terms of safety and taking him out, okay? You really have to understand that. We just talked about masks. Is he willing to wear a mask? He needs to be willing to wear a mask. And earlier in COVID when people couldn't find masks, I remember seeing like an adult wearing a Buzz Lightyear helmet. <laughs> mm -hmm. If they, they're not wearing masks and they're fine wearing a helmet, let them do it. But, you know, if you're okay going out, this would be the time to take him out. And you, you can just start slowly. Don't like go and start doing everything, you know, 10 things in a row on errands, but take him for one thing, make it short, make it a little longer next time. Maybe take him to see someone that he really loves. I love seeing um, some of our families have actually videotaped the kids going and seeing grandma and grandpa, like different people and how yeah. happy the kids are like to finally be able to see people that they love seeing or going to their houses and things. So use your, you know, use what you're safe with or what you're okay with, and then start there and slowly start taking them out. Make sure you're going to want to look at your routine at home. Routines really help our kids, but we've been here a long time. So some of those routines you need to start adjusting every day because some of our kids are too into the routine that is there. So, you know, you can make a, if you have an activity schedule that you're working on, you can make it more general. 
So not labeling it like from 10 to 11, we're, you know, we're doing this activity. It can be. Oh, and she froze right at the We're doing part. an activity and we'll find out what that, but just change ah. it, move it, just really work on anything that is the exact same, you need to start changing it around. Even the food. We've a lot of our kids, because it's just easy to just cook what they like and not have to deal with the fuss. You need to start in put, making food that is a little bit different, you know, on their plate every day so that there's, they can keep the range of um, eating that they used to have, you know, so they're not narrowing it on their own. If you're okay with creating a pod now where, you know, there's a family you trust or family members you're okay coming in and out with, maybe that's the time to do it. But just do what you feel safe and, you know, and use telehealth, use, use Zoom because make him talk to those people outside you know through the room and through through the computer and you know make him inter, you know interact and have conversations daily with people that he's not used to seeing you know on a day-to-day -day basis since you've been in quarantine there's a lot of things that you can do through zoom and through telehealth and through teletherapy so if you don't have advantage if you're not taking advantage of that now do teletherapy because you know, those therapists that he used to love or those people that he used to love, it's gonna, it's, you know, that generalization aspect that doesn't come naturally to kids on the spectrum. You're, you know, using the computer is one way to generalize. And for so many of our kids, this is their future. You know, so many people that are gonna be interacting, social groups, hanging out online, watching a movie together. You can put their favorite movie on and then put like three cousins on the room too, and they can all watch this movie on the computer together. And yeah anything that you can to make things a little bit different to make them interactive you're going to want to do it this okay we've had a lot we, we you know the the mass conversation uh everybody wants to talk about it so uh one of our viewers says for me it, it isn't a sensory issue but it gets hot and i i know i struggle with that too um one of the things that i've been doing um, is putting some, you know, they have those, those little things that you can order that they're sort of, they're bandanas, but they've got water beads in them and you soak them and you put it around your neck, or you can simply take a dish towel, put it in cold water and put it around your neck. And that mitigates part of what gets hot underneath the mask. I, I don't understand the math of it, but I do know that when, when you're keeping, um, the veins around your neck cold, it helps keep everything else not cold, cold, but cool. It keeps everything else. Um, but it is hard, right, uh, Ev? Because it's, the, you know, there are different, and I do think that that's part of a sensory issue is that it's feeling hot. I, you and know. So many of our kids aren't good at identifying their own physical states. They don't understand. They don't know how to tell people, hey, it's hot. So if you have a neurotypical kid and it gets hot, they're able to say, hey, mom, I can I remove this for a little bit because I'm hot. Parents will say, like, yeah, take it off for a little bit. But when we start going again, you need to put it. Yeah. Another person says, my grandson is autistic and nonverbal. And our kids don't know how to communicate that information. So, yeah. So, I mean, just, just give them, you know, give them time away from it too. If they're hot, use this time to teach them to tell you it's really hot over here. Okay. Thanks. I'm sorry. And I interrupted you because I, uh, are, we're cycling a little bit. Um, but um, another person wrote in and said, my grandson is autistic and nonverbal. He has sensory issues. He cannot wear a mask. He will be four in a few days. I guess uh, he may have to be homeschooled if children have to wear masks all day in school. And she says, ABA services have been canceled, of course, but it's a difficult situation for all. There's so many things in there that I want to talk about because first of all, you know, it may be that he can't wear the mask today, but he's about to be four, which means that in six months, he, you know, you could work up to it. Uh, and I want Evelyn to talk to you about that. But I also want to talk about this ABA services have been canceled, of course. There's nothing, of course, about that. And I'm going to let Evelyn talk to you about that. But everybody, <laughs> everybody hang on to your magic carpet because she's going to take you someplace. So here we well, go. Well, I mean, there's, <laughs> Shannon, you could have this conversation, but really... ABA services should not be canceled. They should. It's not. an essential service. It's an essential service. Your child, it's a medically necessary service. Mm -hmm. You have to think for every moment that your grandchild is not getting services, they're falling behind. And you do not want that to be there. And I don't want parents to feel bad about it, to feel guilty about it. Just do it. 
They just need to get their services. If their current ABA provider isn't taking anybody, other ABA agencies are. And really, whether it's through in-person or through telehealth, they need some type of ABA therapy to get going because you wanna use this time. Even though this time is weird, it's, it's kind of been good for a lot of our kids because it's really focused. There's not a lot of distraction where you're going out of the house to do 10,000 things going on for, with your family. They have to deal with who's there in front of this. And that's learn, dealing is learning how to communicate, learning how to be interactive, not insisting on their own way. And then, so get your ABA, if your ABA provider isn't working right now, work with your funding source and say, hey, I need somebody else. They're not taking it, switch my funding to somebody else. They'll do it if they can find it. You know, just you just you have to be the squeaky wheel here. So yeah. people are crowded, and you know, like maybe they they're not they're saying they're not taking someone. You have to keep pushing because if you keep pushing and you keep voicing what you need and that your child is not getting their medical necessity, everybody will help you. Yep, it's true. You and I want to. A lot of ABA providers have continued um, to serve their clients during this great isolation card has continued um, services and offered two different models for people that they could either do in home um, where the, where they would have one therapist or in some cases, two therapists that were just assigned to that family who would just come to their home. Um, and so everybody stayed safe and they, you know, washed their hands like crazy people. But we continued to see families do in-home therapy. And then for other families, they did telehealth therapy. And some families did a, did a hybrid of the two. But as of next week at many card centers, they're going to be offering a third alternative uh, that some of the centers are reopening. And for a limited number of clients, they are coming back to the center and doing a lot of things differently and observing social distancing. But so then there will be three choices and it's what the family is comfortable with, right? And what's right for the kiddo. They could be at the center receiving therapy. They could be in the home receiving therapy, or they can receive telehealth therapy where it's just through the computer. Nobody's coming into your house. And we've seen kids benefiting and, and doing really well with the two. We already know that they do well in the center. So um, and you can do a mixture of the three. So mm -hmm. that's what CARD is doing. I would, I would encourage you for the, the, the grandparent that wrote this in, call your ABA provider and say, what are you doing? What are you doing? This is a medically necessary thing. And where's my telehealth? Where, you know, or if you're comfortable with the in-home or if, you're in com com if you are comfortable going back to the center, yeah, be, be persistent, as Ev said, and, and get that going because this is not an of course. Um, and, and, and ask to have the hours that you've missed be made up over the summer so that yep, they don't yep. lose them. Double down, double down folks. Hey, and we're saying, go ahead. And then just in regards to the mass, I'm laughing at Instagram right now because so many people that have young kids will wear their masks. <laughs> and so that four-year-old isn't that far away. But it is just a learning process. You wear it for a little, you give them a treat. You wear a little bit more, they get to choose what they like, what it feels like. All of those things, you can teach them how to do this. It's not that hard to do. Okay. Yeah. And there's lots of different kinds of masks. I mean, now they have face shields. They have the little hats the kids can, little babies can wear that have the little shield thing. I mean, you know, think out of the box. But We've seen a lot of four-year-olds. And of course, I would say to this person, get your ABA going and have them help you to have your child wear the mask because we've seen a lot of kids that the parents were like, this kid is never going to wear a mask and they're happily wearing masks now like little troopers. Um, so I love that. We're also saying hi out there to Martha. Hi, Martha. Uh, and we're saying hi to Johanny and Karen and Cindy. Uh, okay. So um, somebody wants to know, Evelyn, I'm pretty mixed up about returning to the center versus telehealth. I feel I have learned so much more from being in his sessions. Yes. Can, isn't that a wonderful, like this, many parents have said this. They're like, you know, I would never have chosen this, but now that I'm doing telehealth and I'm in their sessions, I've learned so much more and my relationship with my kid is better. I love it. I, it's my favorite thing. Um, but they want to know how can I keep more connected with treatment plans? I'm hugging you because you're yes. the kind of parent I want to hang out with. Yeah. Yes. 
right? You know, this is actually, so when I started doing therapy years and years ago, everything was home-based. Every parent was involved whether they wanted to be or not. <laughs> me. I didn't want to, but there I was. <laughs> yeah. And, and then when we went to center-based, I saw the shift in type of parents coming in. And it made me sad because I was like, you guys, I, I would talk to the supervisors and say, you have to push the parents to get involved. Because once you're involved, that's like the best thing in the world. But in all honesty, he needs both. Your child needs both. You, we, you know, the fact that you love the sessions at home, keep some sessions at home because that generalization, that rapport that you've built over telehealth, all of that, keep some of that. Because that's what's going to be, that generalization and that there's less prompt dependency, what I noticed through telehealth, which I love. Because mm -hmm. you can't reach through the screen and make the kid do something, <laughs> you know, you have to verbally tell the parent or verbally tell the child. And there's this whole interaction that happens that I just think it's the best thing in the world. And there have been some parents who were totally anti this and have written to me or called me and said, this has been amazing. Just like what you're saying. I love the rapport. I love all of this. So I would say that the best thing to do is to do a hybrid. Okay, because one thing that happens in centers that doesn't happen in home is they have to get used to all the people around. The spontaneity, the distraction, the noise in the environment, all of those things are helpful because once they go to school, you know, there's a thousand distractions. And I love, that's one thing I actually love about having the perspective of having worked in a home and working in the center is when I go to centers now, when I travel and there is so much ruckus going outside and our little kids there just working along, just doing what they need to do. And they're not getting distracted by the kid crying, the thing that fell, whatever it is. And they, all of that is super valuable too. Because although home setting's nice, you can't recreate the weird noises and distractions that happen. People come screaming through, you know, the sudden switching of people working with you, that generalization aspect of having, you know, adults just walking in and they're being forced to say hello and say goodbye. And, and um, just that aspect of it is, it would be lost if you went to an all home or all telehealth model. And your child really does need that center base. But wait till you feel safe. That's what we're telling everybody, right? Yeah. Hard with the rollout of, of center base, we're being very, very careful. If you are not, if your child was not chosen to return to center, don't worry about it, okay? Because we are starting extremely careful. We're making sure that the social distancing is all there. We're making sure like hand sanitizer, hand washing routines, toileting routine. And she's frozen and on my screen. We're really we starting. Okay, so. Uh, thank you, Evelyn. And, and yeah, you know, and, and don't forget that you can come back slowly, um, you know, and you can do the mix. And the other thing, the other thing I want to plug here before we move on is uh, because the main question was, how can I keep more connected with the treatment plans? Um, at CARD, we have something called caregiver collaboration. And I just, I just want to give a big, big shout out for it. And if you're not at CARD, I want to encourage you to be asking for this with your other providers. Caregiver collaboration is set time for the parent to sit down with a senior member of the team and to talk about anything that you want to talk about. So I always tell parents, make a list. Like, what's the hardest part of the day? And they'll help you to work on that from your end right? Like, how do you make things work for you? How, you know, and the parent who goes, I just, like a lot of the things that you guys ask here are things that you would bring into your caregiver collaboration. I just can't get him to brush his teeth in the morning fast enough so that we can get to school on time. Like, those are the things that you can work on. And it's also an ideal time for you, if you're as into it as I think that you are, and as I wish everybody was, to go, okay, so let's sit down and look at the program and what's coming around the corner and what do I need to be preparing for? That's what your caregiver collaboration is for. And, and most of you, like, there's a lot of time that your funding source will give for caregiver collaboration. And I don't know anybody who uses all of it because most of the time parents are too busy. So you can request more. You can say, I would like to have two hours um, to go through all this, or I would like to have four hours. I would like to have an hour a week where I sit down or, you know, in telehealth with the supervisor and talk about what we're doing. To, they'll give it to you. Your funding source almost across the board will give it to you. So don't forget to ask for that caregiver collaboration. And, uh, anything you want to add to that, Ev? Yeah. And I loved caregiver collaboration, but 
you can use it creatively in any way that helps for you and your whole family. So I like, you know, when I used to do parent training, what old school, what we would call it, um, I was like in the family. It wasn't just train the parent, it was train the siblings, train nanny, train everybody that lived in that household or came in a, out a lot, grandparents, and use that mindset. Because right now we're kind of limited of where we're going. But if there's people that you know mean a lot to you and who come through, bring them over during your session and get them some training. Get you know everybody that gets a little bit more education about you know whether it's your child or ABA or how to do things is going to be that much more meaningful in terms of the interaction that they're creating with you and your family. So just, just all of it. Like, you know, we used to joke with um, parents because parents didn't want to say who I was sometimes, you know, they didn't exactly tell everybody, you know, about diagnosis and things, but they would always be like, this is a friend of family. And she said, here, just like, you know, can you tell them about this or whatever it may be. And I used to joke because I'd be like, um, yeah, this is a weird interaction. Like, can I just, like, how much can I say about myself and how much I'm helping you? And they would give me, you know, their limits or whatever. But, you know, the more people involved, the better it is for your child. And that's what you're here for, you know, in terms of treatment planning. Look on skills. If you are a hard family, you go on to skills. And if you, it's a lot and it's overwhelming. But you know, what parents have found is they go to the pages that they like. Mm -hmm. <laughs> And you can ignore everything else because there's a lot of information in there and it can be overwhelming. But talk to your BCBA and say like, okay, this is what I want to know. What's the best way to do this? You know, and they, they will tell you. There's like in skills, there's a, a report on just all the notes that people have taken. And a lot of families just like that. You can go in, put in the dates that you want, the date range. And I'm only looking at the notes that people are writing and it tells me a lot. You know, so... There's just different things depending on what you're interested in, what your kid's working on. It might change, but definitely reach out to your BCBA. And I just want to say, for those of you who are watching, skills, uh, it's skillsforautism.com. And all card um, families have uh, a free account uh, with skills, but any family could have an account with skills. It is a subscription. Um, they are giving 10% off if you call right now and say that you watched on Autism Live. Um, but it is, it is a great thing. I always say it's like a mall, like you're never going to go to a mall and go into every single store, but go to the, you go to the mall knowing that there's something that you want to get. And if along the way you see another store that you happen to walk into, and then that becomes your new favorite store. Great. But don't think that you can go to every store in the mall, like Disneyland. You're not going to go on every ride. Um, you know, not the first time. So, uh, you go in, get what you want and, um, and it's there right? Because it's, it's like a mall. It's got everything. Hey, I want to point out that the grandmother who wrote in before who said that they were, weren't getting ABA services, of course, said she corrected herself and said, I should have said ABA services in the home have been canceled, but he has been getting services through telehealth, which makes me feel much better. But I would push them. A lot of ABA providers, you know, CARD has been doing it in the home and, and see if they're not doing it now, they will be starting it soon. So he is getting services every day, just not one-to-one -one in the home only, and I feel much better about that. Uh, hey, we're saying hi to Cindy, and we're saying hi to Alana. Alana Gershlevitz is watching, and she says Evelyn is the best. We all agree with her, but, but Alana, I, I would argue that you're the best too. So there we go. We have a, uh, a battle going on. Uh, hey, Cindy wants to know, my son is five years old, an ASD twin. He's been more anxious and has been mouthing, biting much more. I've gotten the chew toys and he, he spent it like, she says he spent like them and has been biting random things, mostly plastic. Any tips for Cindy? Oh, Evelyn's frozen. <laughs> oh, no, no, you're, oh, no. you're frozen. Okay. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's a lot of anxiety right now, definitely across the board. So any type of warning to activity changes to what's coming next, you want to give those warnings to your child. And it might be, depending on the age and the ability of communication, it might be in the form of pictures or videos instead of like, hey, this is what we're doing next. And you show them a picture of what you did yesterday, you know, or... 
like even for upcoming bath time, you can video a little bit about their bath and saying, this is what we're doing next and just showing them a little bit about your bath. I mean, that's the amazing part of technology is you can prime kids and warn them in, in much more meaningful ways than ever before. The other thing is in terms of biting, my, I actually have a very specific, um, I don't know, bent towards I don't like chewies at all. Mm. <laughs> the kid's gonna chew. I want them eating food because most of our kids actually have some kind of eating issue too. So I actually redirect all chewies into food form. And you know, like anything that's a gummy, you can put in the refrigerator when it gets cold, it gets really hard. And you can have them chew that gummy fruit or whatever it is, that dried fruit. If, you, if your kid doesn't eat protein, I'm almost immediately sticking some kind of like turkey jerky or something in front of you so that your kid can gnaw on that jerky and just get that stimulation through there. Because I'm a firm believer that if your child doesn't chew, it's very difficult to talk. And so many of our kids, when I ask parents, like, does your kid chew when they eat? They say, yes. I said, no, go back and look. And they'll come back and say, oh, they don't chew. They just kind of smack and then they swallow. And mm -hmm. You know, I always say, let's teach this child how to chew, work with that speech therapist, figure out, and that OT, figure out what areas of the mouth they're not using. You probably already know when you're trying to brush their teeth. You like, you know, jump back from and you know what, you know, they, it's okay. It's like nothing's there. And you probably know about the sensitivities in their mouth already so that you can work with that OT and that speech person to figure out what are things that I can use to address this and how can I get this going? And the thing is, it might be an anxiety reaction, but a lot of times what I've realized with the chewing is it's also a reaction to something that's changed. Maybe some food item has changed or some activity that they used to do. Um, you know, maybe it could just be talking less, you know? Or, and so then now they're using their mouths to engage in other ways. And there is a developmental aspect to this too. Like when families come in and the kids are young, I'll say, did they ever go through that? that um, period of time where they're putting everything in their mouth to figure out what things are, discovery periods. And if they, if they did, but now they're doing it again, I'm gonna treat it more like a behavioral or sensory issue. But let's say they never did that. I'm gonna let them do it on a safe way, but then try to move them towards the next stages. You can figure out things by interacting with them, using your hands, touching them, you know, that are learning about sensations and wet and all of it, you know, whatever the sensations are that you can start teaching them in other ways on that sensory development aspect. I start teaching that. And usually when that happens, they don't stay very long in that developmental stage of mouthing because it's not safe. And then there's sometimes kids just mouth because they have nothing else to do. And if that's gonna, if that's gonna be it, then you need to be in, enriching their environment. That means therapy. That means giving them new things to focus on, new things to be aware of, new things to learn how to do. And a lot of times just by giving them more information that meets their criteria of whether it's the sensory or whether it's just learning more and being more active and discovering other things, their attention will go away from all of you know, the other types of activity too. So just like a lot of our kids right now, I mean, boredom is bad, but for our kids that don't know how to structure themselves this time if you're home and you don't have a routine for them and you don't have a structured kind of day for them life is really really hard without that routine you know yesterday i was talking to shannon i said you know for me on the weekends i can like i want that lazy wake up you know it's just exhausting to wake up every day but for our kids on the spectrum they need to wake up and know that there's something to do right away because if you let them slowly engage into the day, chances are they're not engaging with people and they're usually engaging in some type of stereotypy because they don't know what else to do. And getting them out of that stereotypy, let's say if you start a therapy at noon, is a lot harder than if you did it right from when they woke up. Because when they wake up and you teach them how to structure their day and they can follow instructions, it's like their whole day is much more organized than that sleepy time of giving them four hours to do nothing before they start up again. It's actually, I've seen it, be harder for the kids when they have kind of that lazy wake up time rather than starting right from the beginning in the morning. So think about it. Hey, we're saying hi to Steve and the mom who said that the, uh, she was learning so much from telehealth. She said, I felt like I was on top of things, but man, has it been awesome. 
I want to have you write a whole blog about what it's been like for you as a parent. Um, because I think there are still people who are afraid of it and I think it would help them, but I'm not, I'm, uh, you know, I know you're busy. Uh, okay. Uh, somebody else who said they're uplifted and they said, thank you so much for doing these. Um, but one of the parent writes in and says, excellent. Your lectures are, but would you please help me to guide, um, so that my child trains to go to the bathroom. He has severe autism and he is 17 years old. Oh, so hard. Yeah. 17 years of a habit is really hard to break. Okay, so. But not impossible. Not impossible, I've done a 40 year old. <laughs> there you go, there you go. It took a lot of work, I mean, it's a lot of work though because when they're little and you're toilet training them, you can pick them up and move them. When they're 17, you can't. But better to do it at 17 than 25, right? Hmm? Better to do it at 17 than 25, right? Oh, definitely. So and, now and, is the time. Now is the time because you just have to think any habit that goes longer is really hard to break. The more years involved. Plus, so which we're now. all stuck at home. We're all stuck yeah. at home right now. So now is the ideal time to be working on this. And honestly, so there's a lot of different, depending on how, who's there, you want, you're going to need somebody who's going to physically be able to block him. Like if he's, because he's going to try running out of the bathroom and all these other things. So you do need people who are going to really help. And whenever I'm toilet training an adult, I'm always saying, how many uncles can I bring over? <laughs> you know, because they need to be around because they need to force him. Like, no, you can't come out of here until you go in that bathroom. Like, you just have to do this. But before you even get there, the main component before any toilet training for any child, any age, is they have to be compliant. That means when you tell them sit down, stand up, whatever it is, that they generally do it, but they also know that when they do it, there is some reward for it for them at the end of it. Because then if they know that they follow your instruction, there is gonna be something good that comes from it. At the beginning, it might be some reinforcer that is like you're handing him, like here, you can play a certain game if you're doing this. But, uh, uh, but sometimes it's just giving them a type of food that they want, you know, whatever it may be. And, but at some point though, there has to be, you have to have compliance where they're gonna do what you say. So what I tell people is like, really work on compliance for a good three months. And you know, it might not take three months, but if you really just work on just basic compliance skills to do just the easy things in life, once you get compliance and he knows if I do this, there's gonna be something in it for me, you can do toilet training then because Everything that you've asked of him, there is always a reason. There's a benefit. There's something good that comes out of it. So as long as he knows that, now that you're asking him for toilet training, you can do it. And you start slow. You also have to see, rule out any biomedical issues. If your child has a ton of diarrhea or GI issues, you're going to need to address that first. Because no matter how compliant they are, no matter how, what good you know, routine you put in for a toilet training, if your child has no control over their bowels or their, you know, um, their, their, their bathroom, um, just their GI tract, it's very hard because there's no control. So get, go see those doctors, figure out like what foods is making, you know, them biomedically, the, what is actually messing up their GI system, figure that out so that the child can actually have some control. Because I know in so many, so much of our ASD population, there are biomedical issues around their GI tract. And if your child just suddenly has diarrhea, there's no, you have no control. And then your child has no control, no matter how much you're doing toilet training. The minute so make I sure all that, that's addressed. I, like, but just really go through and rule out the biomedical. If you get compliance, you rule out the biomedical, you're ready to go. Figure out what reinforcers are ready. Start taking things away that you're going to reserve just the highest for the toilet training. Um, use the Azrin and Fox, you know, method. It, it works. You, just for a 17-year-old, it just takes longer. You know, okay. you're at a party for a few days. It might be a, a month or two or three of doing this. Not in that extreme, It'll get, but still, you might, don't give up. Because he's had 17 years to have this habit of not using the toilet. <laughs> yeah. You can give a more time to counter it. And so many people have been writing in in the last couple of weeks with all kinds of questions about potty training. And we just keep saying Azrin and Fox, Azrin and Fox, Azrin and Fox. 
I want to make sure you guys know how to spell it, A-Z-R-I-N and F-O-X-X. Um, and it is the, the proven method of toilet training that has worked across the board for, I mean, like how many experts have we had on in 10 years? And I always ask them, is there anybody that you've not been able to get potty trained? The answer is no. It just takes longer amounts of time with some people than with others. But it works. It absolutely works. You can Google it. We've got a show planned coming up uh, in the next couple of weeks where we're just going to devote the time to Fox Nazarene and toilet training and what you do and what you don't do. Um, but you can Google it today. There are books on it and um, it's pretty, you know, uh, regimented, but you have to follow it. And, you, and it, it means that for at least a period of time, you have to like not be going on a trip, you know, now, <laughs> like there's no better time than now. Uh, we, always at the end of the hour, everybody writes in with the best questions. I'm going to try to get through as many of these as I can. Um, so there was one about meltdowns. What do you do when your son has a meltdown and yells for a very long time? Ellen? Okay, you need a BCBA to come in here and to do a functional assessment or, you know, on your child. I can't really realistically give you good uh, feedback, but usually before they have that meltdown, there's a lot of clues they give you. Mm -hmm. Something is not going the way they want. Something is not, they give you clues. It's just, you just have to be very in tune to them. Like if they start twitching or if they start pacing or whatever it is, you're going to be able to figure out what that is. And there's different reasons too. You know, we behavior, you know, sometimes it's for attention. If I yell and scream, everybody comes and runs to me and that's great and awesome. And so now I know that every time I want people to come near me, I just have to scream and yell and have a meltdown. Sometimes it's because the only time they get access to what they want is by yelling and screaming. And unfortunately that is a big one. Sometimes yelling and screaming is a function of avoidance or escape. In classrooms, it's amazing how the minute the kid decides they don't want to be. She's stuck oh. here. Here we go. <laughs> you know, so there's different reasons for those meltdowns. And they will give you clues. And, but you need someone to come in and do a functional assessment and just really figure out, like, what are the functions? And it might be different functions at different times in different settings. But a lot of times, and it's, Really, there's the lack of communication that when we started this hour when we were talking, I was saying so many kids just don't know how to communicate. Tantrums and meltdowns are not a function of the diagnosis of autism. It's basically the result of not being able to communicate, not understanding social interaction, that that's why most of our kids end up in some type of problem behavior, is they know that this is the only way they're going to get access to whatever it is they're needing in the moment. So really... You want, you want someone to come in and help you figure out, like, what is the reason he's doing this? Why? And then create a behavior plan. Yeah, you absolutely need some help and support. But as you are reaching out and getting somebody to come in, save yourself some time. We talk about this all the time on the show. I'm too, it's too white. You're not going to be able to see. On my paper, I folded it into thirds, and it has A, B, C. And you're going to start to fill this out so that when the expert comes, they're going to already have some background. So the A stands for antecedent, the B stands for the behavior, and the C stands for the consequence. So when your kid throws a tantrum, you immediate, and this is going to help you when they're having the meltdown, because as soon as I started to do this as a parent, instead of standing there and thinking, oh my gosh, she's doing the tantrum again. I don't know what it is. It's random. It's autism. This is going to be the rest of my life. My life is over. We're never going to be happy. We're never going to be able to do anything. He's never going to have the, you know, you cycle. Instead, you stand there and think, okay, I got to remember so I can write down what exactly is he doing for the behavior? Oh, look, he's spitting. Oh, now he's throwing things. It just helps you to get removed from it, right? So you write, the first thing you write down is what the behavior looked like, right? Then you write down what was the consequence for it. What happened afterwards? Did you end up giving in? Don't judge yourself. Just put it on the paper right? You know, did, did somebody else give him a lollipop afterwards, whatever. And then when you're all done, you go back and you're a detective and you go, what was happening right before? I don't know. I fed him gummy bears. Um, right. And it does, and, and it was two o'clock in the afternoon and I asked him to put on his shoes, whatever, but you'll start and then you draw a line and then you put in the next one. And after a week, you're going to, you'll start to see some patterns. And when you hand this to the BCBA that you have coming in, they will just drool all over you and want to work with you. And it'll be much quicker because they'll go, oh, this tells me the whole story right here. 
Um, and if you want to know more about that, we talk about, it's called the three-term contingency. We talk about it in our jargon thing and you guys can check it out. But anybody who's having challenging behavior, if you start to keep one of these sheets and you talk to your expert about it, it's going to supercharge what happens. Um, can I move on to a, a question where I want to hug this dad? He says, my son is on the spectrum um, for autism. He is nonverbal. He has an eating disorder. He takes off his diaper and plays with and eats his poo. It's so frustrating for us as 25-year-old parents. Thank you for your time. I am hugging you. You're going to be awesome. This is, uh, you know, what a, what a great, great dad that's here and writing in and asking this question. 25 years old, lean in because we got you. Uh, Evelyn, what can we do for this young man? This young okay, dad? so you blanked out on part of that. <gasps> no! Okay, so the son is uh, on the spectrum for autism. He's nonverbal. He has an eating disorder, and he takes off his diaper and plays with and eats his poo. And it's very frustrating for this couple. They're 25 years old, trying to be good parents, um, and they want to know what they should do. Find your local BCBA, <laughs> and he needs therapy. Sounds like he's still really young. You guys are 25, so he can't be that old. So that's great news. The younger, you know, he's still young. So don't worry so much about the classifications or the diagnoses, the eating disorder, the autism. I always just say, you know what? Your child's a child. Let's look and see what's difficult, what's easy for him, what does he love. Really look at it separately and, you know, Therapy at this point when he's young is going to be the best thing for him because that eating disorder, not really an eating disorder yet, okay? It's not. It's a function usually of maybe, you know, we have kids who they had reflux when they were babies and no one ever really knew. They spit up a lot and suddenly they're eating foods and it doesn't feel good, so they just stop eating because it just, it's the consequence thing. They, every time I eat something, I feel bad. And you know, it could be that, it could be sensory, he doesn't like the feeling, or it could be, I've had kids who got burned by hot food and then just are like, we're not doing that anymore. You don't know what it is, so it's not exactly a disorder. It really is just figuring out, like, what is, what will he eat? Can the, you look for the clues, you be that detective. It's like, he will eat these things, you can write it all down, what do these things have in common? Oh, they're all the same color. <laughs> and believe me, that's actually a common one. <laughs> the kids that only eat it by color. And, you know, like after I had kids, my typical kid, I, she, I remember my youngest telling me like, you're not supposed to eat green things. <laughs> you walk on grass, that's green. And I thought, oh, wow, typical kids do this too. But the thing is, you know, get therapy, get some help, go see, make, if you're concerned about their health, go get a good pediatrician. A pediatrician who specializes with kids on the autism spectrum is going to be the best help to you. You, so you'll have your typical pediatrician for your daily, you know, regular needs and go and get, you know, look and see if there's any biomedical issues, you know, for that pediatrician that actually has experience with kids on the spectrum. Um, really, this is the time you're 25. That means you have a lot of energy, <laughs> but you're going to be the best parents because you're going to be like, you're not that far away from them. So you're going to be able, you'll have, they'll be jumping up and down with them on the trampoline just so that they can say their first word. You'll Frozen. All these things. You'll be doing all these things. Very hard path, but there's a lot of good things that are going to come. Absolutely. And I just want to put it in your back pocket that I want you to go to www.tacanow.org. That's TACA, which is ta uh, the Autism Community in Action. Um, and you're going to find support of a lot of young parents that are there for a lot of different things. A lot of what Evelyn just said to you about making sure that you go to a doctor because when kids are engaging in eating their poo, sometimes it's a mineral deficiency and you wanna know what mineral. You don't wanna, you don't wanna guess. But you're gonna find a lot of parents on TACA that have a similar experience to you. They've got all kinds of workarounds. Like um, there are special pajamas that um, where, you know, you cut off the feet and you like summer weight pajamas and they zip up the back or they snap up the back so the kid can't get in a diaper, um, which is going to slow a lot of things down. So I want to encourage you to go find a pediatrician, but lean into those talker groups. They're doing a monthly coffee talk that's virtual now. It's free um, and, and you're going to get some 
you're going to get some good support from other young parents. I think you're going to find your tribe um, and, and start to like one by one tick off the things that are the most frustrating, that are kicking your can the most, that are making you mentally go, oh my gosh, I'm 25 and I have this kid and I don't understand what to do. One by one, you're going to be like, oh, now I know what to do about that. And now he's not eating the poo out of his diaper anymore. Woohoo. You know, now we're going to move on to he's not sleeping and we're going to crush that one. Um, and you know, by the time you're 30 and he's older, it's going to be, you know, you're going to be like, look at how great I am. Uh, right? yep. you're going to be like, look at how great my kid is. Um, so, and, and along the way you might find that I hope you're doing some ABA therapy to, to get as much language happening, whether it ends up being vocal speech or that he's communicating on a device, because if you don't get that functional communication piece, he is going to act out. Because if you can't get your needs met, any of us, doesn't matter autism or not, if I can't get my needs met, I get mad and I throw a tantrum. Yep. So there we go. Um, we did not get to all the questions, but we, we did what we could. Hey, Evelyn, you are the best and we just adore you. And thank you so much for, for being here with us. And I, I, the, the great news is that we are going to have Evelyn back again next week. So if you want your question answered, send it to me um, and we'll make sure that it gets on the list for next week. And I want to say a special thank you. I want to say hi to David and a special thank you to Diana who wrote in and answered a question for us that we didn't get to about SSDI. Thank you, Diana. We appreciate that. Thank you so much, Evelyn. We're back tomorrow with Bonnie Yates. If you guys have legal questions, you got questions about the ESY. She's our special education attorney. She's going to be with us tomorrow. I'm taking questions right now. You can send them to me at s.penrod at autism-live.com. Dot com. And then, of course, on Friday, we have licensed and marriage and family therapist, Vince Redmond. So if you have questions of that kind of nature, he's on Friday. So it's not a what's on first, uh, who's on second. It's Bonnie tomorrow and Vince on Friday. That's what we're talking about. Thank you all. We'll be back then. Until then, give your kiddos a hug from me and one for you too. Bye-bye for now.